What is up, everybody? Welcome into another edition of the Hangout in the Holy Land podcast, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com. This is the last Holy Land Hangout in the Holy Land of 2017. Want to thank you guys for listening to the show. We want to welcome you guys into the show today. My name is Colton Denning, and I am your host, coming to you on December 30th, 2017, and it is the end of the 2017 Ohio State season. Last night, they take care of business and win the Cotton Bowl by beating the USC Trojans 24-7. So we are going to talk about that tonight and talk about Ohio State's season as a whole, what we thought about it, what we think about the game and everything we saw last night and all season. And to do that, I am joined by my co-host for these recap podcasts and my friend, Patrick Mayhorn. Patrick, I hope you are doing better today than Sam Darnold than the USC offensive line are. Well, I haven't been sacked eight times today, so I, I think I'm probably doing better. I am coming off of a little bit of a flu. Um, so if my voice sounds a little bit uh, bad or worse than it usually does, that's why. But um yeah, it was a it was a rough evening for uh, Sam Darnold, and I'm sure that he spent some time in a ice bath today because I mean the OSU defensive line just got after him all night. We're gonna talk about what the Ohio State defensive line and front seven really did to that USC offense and Sam Darnold. But before that, on the subject of defense, one of the main storylines with this game and other bowl games, not only this bowl season, but of the past few years, has been star players sitting out and you know saving their draft stock, whether they should play or not. And for the most part, leading up to this game on both sides, there really wasn't any talk about it. I know that Ronald Jones, when I talked to Brandon Kearney of of uh, Conquest Chronicles in our preview episode for this game, he mentioned that Ronald Jones may have may sit out, but he had had a previous injury. He ended up playing in the game, and it seemed like everybody on both sides was going to play until probably, what, 20, 25, 30 minutes before the game. Uh, Denzel Ward didn't show up in warm-ups for Ohio State, and everybody kind of put two and two together and realized that he wasn't going to play. And then Ward got on Twitter and put out a nice statement saying that uh, why he wasn't going to be playing in the game. And then afterwards, Urban Meyer talked about Ward's decision and that it was a thing that was an ongoing discussion between uh, the coaching staff, Ward, and his family throughout bowl season after the Big Ten championship game, but they didn't come to a decision until yesterday. I have a feeling I know what your answer is on this because I think you and I are pretty one-track mind when it comes to this stuff, but uh, what did you think of Ward's decision to sit out? Well, I really pretty much any instance where it comes down to you know, a player's decision, uh, especially in college football, I'm going to choose the side of the player and I'm not really any different here. Um, I think Denzel Ward is a fantastic football player. Uh, I think he's going to make a lot of money very soon. And, you know, ultimately he's a, a 21 year old person whose most valuable asset is his health and his athleticism. And for, you know, for him to, to risk that in a game that ultimately doesn't mean anything other than you know it's you know, it's pride you're playing for your team you're playing for you know a, a bowl trophy but it doesn't have any real impact it's just a it's just a bowl game but um it, I, I think for him to you know for him to risk that would have been you know a little bit foolish at least to me I, I think if I was that good at football I would not be anywhere near the field uh, if my team was playing in any game that wasn't a playoff game um, and you know the guys who decided to play that's you know that's obviously good for them and I, I appreciate that they played one last time but ultimately Denzel Ward I think made the right decision for him um, I know that I saw on Twitter I can't remember who it was that tweeted it out it might have been like Tim May or one of those um, the the original <laughs> beat guys but um, someone tweeted out that he lost his dad in 2016 and you know ultimately we don't know these guys' family situations, and we don't know what they have to deal with and what their financial situations look like. And it, it's hard for me to question a young man who's very obviously talented enough to make money playing football. Um, you know, it's hard for me to doubt him <laughs> suspending that possibility and, and risking that money. Yeah, and just from a business perspective, 
for him at the next level. I'm not sure that even a great game could have really boosted his stock any higher than it already was. He's going to be a first-round pick, and we saw a couple of other Ohio State guys play who I think weren't in that similar position. They could have set out, but I don't think that they were already on that level, and, and we'll talk about Sam Hubbard and Tyquan Lewis, who I think put a lot of really good stuff out there that NFL people are going to like, and they were able to, uh, they could have sat out, but they were able to kind of boost their profiles with the way that each of those two guys played, but like you're saying, I think that it's uh, it's an individual player choice, and I'm certainly not going to be begrudge a guy who's put in all of the work to get to this point. And ultimately, if you're upset about this type of thing, like you said, this is a game that, yeah, you want to win it, and it's a high-profile game, and it's one that you know, you'll remember just like you remember winning the Rose Bowl against Oregon in 2009 and some of those other non-playoff or national championship uh, postseason games. But I-, I think that if a guy decides to sit out, it just gives you a chance to look at the players who are going to play big roles for next season. And that's at a position where Ohio state really needs to step it up next year. So I thought, uh, in just in the terms of the way it played out for Ohio state and at cornerback with Ward's decision to sit out, I enjoyed seeing, well, maybe not completely enjoyed, but I thought it was good to see guys like Kendall Sheffield and Jeff Okuda in particular get those meaningful game time snaps against a really good team and against some really good USC receivers. And did they get beat a few times? Absolutely. But I I thought that uh, that's good experience for them. And that's going to be a situation that both of those guys are in all of next season, starting from the jump next year. And you want those guys to be ready. So, you know, I think that if that's your trade-off, then I'm fine with it. Yeah, and this has kind of been what we've seen at Ohio State at the defensive back position, specifically cornerback, over the last, you know, five or six years, really the entire Urban Meyer era. Uh, we've seen the the next man, you know, the, the next man up at cornerback pretty much every season. And, you know, every year that lead cornerback has been a first-round pick, it feels like. You know, we, we, went, from, we went to, you know, Garyon Conley, uh, Marshawn Lattimore, obviously Eli Apple, uh, you know, from Bradley Roby, and and we went to, you know, this year in Denzel Ward, and it's just this is the next generation of cornerbacks coming in, and you know if it's Sheffield that steps up, or Arnett, or even Jeffrey Okuda, or maybe someone who didn't play a ton this year like Sean Wade, um, it, it's just it's hard for me to you know to really worry about the cornerback position just with how much success they've had there over the last couple of years. And ultimately that experience, you know, as you said, is really valuable. And it's it's really valuable for someone like Jeffrey Okuda to get to go up against these really good receivers and, you know, the really explosive passing offense. And, you know, ultimately it's that kind of experience that prepares him for, you know, games against teams like Penn State or Michigan or, you know, any any number of high-level teams Ohio State will have to play. Um, Jeffrey Okuda and Kendall Sheffield and even someone like Damon Arnett will be better for it because they played in this game. So the story of this game was that defense, and in particular the front seven and the defensive line. From the jump, from the first time USC got the ball, those guys were just swarming. They may have had more impressive defensive performance from like a numbers or an S&P plus percentile standpoint this season, but I came away from this game as impressed or probably more impressed with the defense than I have been all season because those the the front seven and the defensive line were just able to completely stymie USC and make them one-dimensional in their game plan. 14 tackles for loss, eight sacks, four forced turnovers. They basically were able to execute a trestle ball type of game plan or like a uh, prime pre-spread Nick Saban Alabama game plan where it was just like we're gonna put the clamps on them get short fields for our offense and if the offense doesn't turn the ball over that's fine we'll just win by 17 and not really too much yeah you ever played the like the NCAA video games on you know really any level but against a team that doesn't have a very good uh like a left or right tackle and you have a really good defensive end and you get like eight sacks with the one guy that was what Ohio Yeah, and you State can just did. pancake him every time. Yeah, you can just run right past him and he, he's not going to he's not going to stop you. That was pretty much, you know, Sam Hubbard and Nick Bosa, Jalen Holmes, you know, Tyquan Lewis, the entire defensive line was doing that for the entire game. Um and that I <laughs> I I really haven't seen that happen in such a, you know, a high profile 
game between between uh, between two teams that are pretty equal in terms of talent. Um, Ohio State's defense was easily the best unit on the field uh, for the entire game. If it wasn't for a, a muffed punt, uh, I don't think USC would have scored. They they didn't really get close all that often. Um, there were a couple of times where they got down near the red zone, but they, they doinked a kick, and there was a couple of Sam Darnold turnovers, which certainly helped the final score in favor of Ohio State. But the defense was really solid for the entire night, you know, despite being down a defensive back and, you know, despite playing a little bit of questionable um, coverage near the end of the game. I, I don't know if you noticed it, but they were playing like 15 yards off the line, <laughs> like man coverage, 15 yards off the line on like a third and 17. And it was it was kind of frustrating. But, you know, ultimately at that point, I was just kind of, you know, tired of the game. And um, but, you know, the defense, this was really kind of the trestle ball, you know, murder, murder ball that we haven't seen a ton at Ohio State recently. And we kind of thought had gone you know, away with trestle. But you, you're right. This this felt like a like an old saving win or like a trestle win. And you know, ultimately, a win is a win, even if it isn't particularly fun to watch and I, I don't know about you but I did not have a very good time watching this game I didn't have fun watching the offense but as the game went on it, it was hard not to appreciate what the defense and the defensive line uh, in particular were able to do and, and the most impressive thing was they they didn't blitz a ton they were just able to get pressure with four even sometimes three guys and like even things as simple as just defensive line stunts it just looked like USC they didn't have a game plan for it. Their players weren't ready. Their players weren't physically ready. Clay Helton, after the game, uh, just said that they physically got beat up front, which I don't know what else you can say <laughs> after a performance like that. But that's really what happened, and it limited what USC was able to do. They ran the ball not well at all. I know that Jones had something like 19 carries for 67 yards. He had a decent day, but I want to say that 30 or 40 of those yards came on only a couple of carries, but USC's whole offense was basically just deep passes and slinging the ball down the field. And, you know, maybe we, we may not talk a lot about Sam Donald uh, on this episode of the podcast and, and USC's offense from their perspective, but even the plays they made, you know, they really had to struggle for those plays. USC's receivers made a couple of really nice catches and bailed Darnold out on some bad throws. So USC had to work for everything. And over a third of USC's runs were stopped for no gain or a loss. And about a third of USC's total plays ended up in havoc plays for the Ohio State's defense. Those stats are courtesy of our own Chad Peltier. So basically, once every three plays, Ohio State was knocking a ball down, sacking Darnold, forcing a fumble, uh, picking a ball off. They, they were just everywhere, and, and they did everything. Yeah, the, the defense really knew exactly what they needed to do to you know keep Sam Darnold from dominating the game. Um, he really didn't have much time all game. When he did have time, he was pretty impressive. Um, he made some really nice throws when his pocket was there, but it just wasn't there very often. Um, one of the things that I really liked that Ohio State did and something I think that they probably could have done more this season, honestly, uh, not to say that they struggled with it as the season you know, went on, but on those third and longs, those obvious third down, passing down situations, they brought six or seven guys. Um, I, I think that they had probably five or six defensive ends on the field uh, with you know, with, um, you know, Tyquan Lewis and Sam Hubbard, Jalen Holmes, they brought in Chase Young a couple of times, Nick Bosa. Uh, they brought in pretty much all those guys on those long third downs. And I, there were a couple plays where I think there was one that stood out to me where Hubbard came off the, the edge completely unblocked and the play was just blown up immediately. And, you know, I really don't think there's a team in the country that has an answer for that kind of onslaught on a third and long. Um, I don't think there's a quarterback in the country who can, adjusted that kind of pressure because there were times where Sam Darnold had one or two seconds to get the ball out and there was just nobody there in time. There was no receiver for him to throw to. And the the reason that Ohio State was so dominant defensively in this game, I think is pretty much entirely because of that front seven. Uh, the linebackers were great. Defensive line, obviously fantastic. Um, but, I, you know, with, with all the praise that I've been giving to defensive ends and the praise in general that's been given to defensive ends, um, I think some praise should go to, you know, a guy like Robert Landers, uh, who yeah, he had a, yeah, he he had had a great, great game. game. He had a fumble recovery. 
Um, he he's really good. Uh, defensive tackles in general are very valuable against pocket passers, and I think that, that was true in this game. Uh, even as they, you know, moved someone like Jalen Holmes to the inside, I saw Tyquan Lewis playing a little bit on the inside, and I thought that that was kind of an interesting way to counter a pocket passer. But um, Robert Landers had a good game. I think that Draymond Jones was hurt for some of the game. I didn't see a lot of him. But um, Tracy Sprinkle had a little bit of an impact. I saw quarterback Hurry doesn't have a huge stat sheet, but um, I, I'm sure that he was in there making plays. And ultimately, the defensive line was as dominant as they have been all season long. And it, it just felt like they did the things that they've done, you know, in crunch time when games come down, like in the Penn State game or in the Michigan game. And they did those things, but they did them for the entire game rather than just for the last five minutes. And it, you know, it's it's kind of makes you think, what if, what if they had done that for the entire season? How dominant would this defense have been? But, you know, ultimately, this is an extremely talented group, and they showed that again against a really good offense. Like you said, you can pretty much go up and down the defensive line and single out every single player. Landers had a good game and helped free those guys up on the edges. Jalen Holmes had yet another game where. He, he didn't totally dominate on the stat sheet. He picked up a sack, but he clogged up the middle when they played him in the middle. And then when they put him outside, he was able to get after Darnold and harass him. Nick Bosa, man, had a one and a half sacks. And even the plays that he wasn't uh, sacking Darnold or making a play in the backfield on a running back, him and the rest of the line were just blowing plays up. Tyquan Lewis had about four or five plays where he knocked USC's tackle right on his ass. And, I mean, he just whipped his ass <laughs> all night long. And I, I was happy to see him close his career out like that because there, there's been some stretches this year where I think – I don't maybe it's not fair to say that Tyquan Lewis has been invisible or been silent, but he didn't have a dominant game like this all season until last night and he had five tackles a sack that forced fumble and then two other tackles for loss so I think he really showed his potential and how good he's been for his whole career and then Sam Hubbard was the uh, probably the, the foremost standout of the defensive line two and a half sacks three total tackles for loss USC just looked like they had no clue what to do against him either yeah and this is I, I think it kind of all comes back to the the fact that Ohio State's defensive line is the most physical in the country, the the deepest in the country, and I you know to tie that into coaching, which a lot of times with Ohio State I don't do because I think a lot of times Ohio State wins despite coaching, um, and I think guys develop sometimes despite who their position coach is. The defensive line absolutely has thrived under Larry Johnson, and it's really hard to understate just how good of a coach he is um there's a reason that this is the best defensive line in the country there's a reason that they are so consistently physically dominant and deep and why they have been every year he's been here um you know and and all credit to those players and all credit to larry johnson because this is not a you know a pushover usc team this isn't some you know, a G5, like a low-level G5 school or a, a low-level P5 school. This is a legitimate top 10 team, and Ohio State was just that much more physically dominant, and that's really rare to see. What do you think of the secondary play? Because it was kind of an up-and-down night for them, but they had a tough task against what I, I think is a really underrated group of USC wide receivers. I thought the safeties were great, <laughs> to, to preface it. I think Jordan Fuller is a star, um, and I think he's going to be excellent next season. Uh, Damon Webb capped what was a great season and a really good career. Um, I'm not sure what he'll do with the next level. I'm, I'm seeing you know, probably a third or a fourth round pick for him, but he was a um, he was a great leader for this defense and really just a, a great guy to have back there at safety. He had a, um, a really nice pick six where he was pretty much just right where the ball was and didn't didn't really need to jump it because it was just a really bad read by Sam Darnold but uh, I, I think that the safeties played really well and I think that the corners are young um, I, I don't think the corners played particularly well for a lot of the game um, it, it felt like all three of them got beat uh, quite a bit Kendall Sheffield got beat a couple times pretty early on in the game but I was kind of impressed with Kendall Sheffield because he's he improved as the yeah, game went on yeah he's struggled a lot this season and he's he's gotten plenty of flack and you know in some cases deservedly so but he had four pass, pass breakups he forced a fumble 
um, it felt like when he got beat, he was still there to make a play and, and to either knock the ball out or just to to make it difficult on the receiver. And I think that he is, you know, he's so athletic and he's such a just a talented football player. When he gets it down and he gets technique down and it starts to the game starts to slow down for him, he's going to be really good. And if that's at safety next season or if it's at nickel corner or wherever it is, he just I think he flashed that potential to, or you know during that game and he almost had a, an interception late on a um, a, a really bad uh, thrown away pass from the end zone um, and it was just. The, the athleticism that it took to even get close to that ball really, I think, is what makes him such a, an interesting player. Um, but, you know, opposite of him, Jeffrey Okuda in his, his first real start, uh, he, he's seen time this year but hasn't seen a ton of it. I thought he looked okay. Um, I think he certainly has talent, uh, obviously, or he wouldn't have been a five-star and he wouldn't be on Ohio State, but I, I think he certainly has potential. Uh, the athleticism is there, but he has to... You know, he has to work on turning around when the when the ball is in the air. He has to work on finding the ball. He has to work on not using his hands so much because he he gets in trouble when he does that. And he had a couple plays that probably should have been pass interference that weren't, and he had a couple pass interferences. He he got beat a couple times, and I think that he'll be fine. And it's impressive that he was able to do much of anything as a true freshman against this USC passing attack. And I, I think overall he was you know. He was fine, and you know. Lastly, um, Damon Arnett. He, I, I really, I, I, I don't know what to think about his performance because it didn't yeah. feel like he got beat as much as he usually does. But it also really didn't. I, I don't. I don't know. It, I don't know if I agree. <laughs> I, I, I just, I don't remember a ton of plays that he was even involved with. It, it just. It, it feels like he was kind of there. Um, I, I think he was generally. Um, responsible for for covering um, Tyler Vaughn's, which is not great when you look at Tyler Vaughn's stats. Uh, he had six receptions for 120 yards. Um, but I think Damon Arnett is still just kind of a very physical cornerback who, like Okuda and like Sheffield, just needs to get the technique down and needs to get used to looking back for the ball and. I, I think that all those guys are still young and they'll all be fine eventually with you know with coaching and it's as I said earlier it's really hard to doubt this defensive coaching staff when it comes to cornerbacks but it's this was a tough matchup for them especially without their head cornerback and with a couple of really talented receivers and obviously a good quarterback throwing to them and I think they did a serviceable job they, they only allowed seven points and while they did give up quite a few yards they didn't get beat into the end zone there was not a, a passing touchdown in this game for usc and I, I think that that's pretty impressive for a defensive backfield that is as young as this one was maybe i'm wrong here too but some of the problems technique wise that arnett sheffield and okuda have shown were some of the same issues that denzel ward had a couple of seasons yeah. ago because he was you know that that third guy opposite you know a player like marshawn Lattimore, some of the other uh, players in that defensive backfield and th those are just things that it, it takes time it's hard for a young DB or multiple young DBs to to go in there and, and make plays so I am definitely encouraged that at least a couple of those guys will be able to come in next season and have some of those uh, technique flaws or you know technique changes and a guy like Sean Wade too who we didn't see at all this season very highly touted guy maybe he has some of those issues as well but they, they keep bringing in talent in uh, in the secondary and at corner, and I think that those guys as a group will be much better next season with another year of seasoning. And even for, I think, some of the mishaps that Arnett had and that Sheffield had early on, even though he did improve as the game went on, those two guys also were the, were the reason that Ohio State was able to score their first touchdown and give them that short field for uh, JT Barrett's one-yard touchdown to make it 7 nothing at the start of the game when they uh, they popped that ball out and forced the first turnover that Damon Webb picked up. So it's always nice to see that even when those guys are getting beat, they're forcing turnovers. And this is an obvious statement. This goes for any defense, but particularly for this one, for a long stretch of time this year, they just could not force turnovers. And if this defense is able to force 
even two a game, it just completely takes this team to a whole other level, I think, where the offense doesn't need to be a top 10 unit. You know, if these guys are able to flip the field for them, the offense can do enough. And I think the offense will be a little bit better and more balanced next season. So if they're able to continue that and take some of what they did in this game over and continue to force turnovers like they did with that 2016 team, then I think you'll you'll start to see Ohio State play at an even higher level. And one of the things that you kind of mentioned there was, you know, that, that all of these top-level cornerbacks that Ohio State has had, you know, like Denzel Ward, Marshawn Lattimore, Garyon Conley, Eli Apple, all these guys, I remember a lot of times when they first started to see the field, and you know, not to sound too harsh, all of them sucked. Yeah, Every single one pretty of them much. was absolutely terrible the first time that they played, which is just how cornerbacks work. Um, it's it's a really hard position to play. Um, and a lot of times the young guys just have athleticism, and it's a hard position to coach. A lot of times high school coaches aren't good at coaching it. They're just, you know, they're not used to coaching that. But, you know, even guys on this team who improved, you know, over their career, guys like Dame Webb and, you know, obviously Denzel Ward and Kendall Sheffield as the season went on, we saw those guys improve. But I remember when Dame Webb wasn't very good or when Denzel Ward wasn't very good. And it's it's encouraging to see any kind of, you know, solid play from three cornerbacks who I think are very obviously going to get better uh, going into next season and however long they're here. And that's I, I think that that's where I'm encouraged the most about this performance is that they didn't you know I don't think any of them looked awful. I think all of them showed signs of being a competent Ohio State cornerback, and that's just with the with the track record that they have and the you know the knowledge of the fact that every previous first round cornerback that they've had was bad in their first game. This is, you know, really, I, I don't think that there's a ton that can be taken away from this other than Ohio State will be fine at cornerback. And even with USC piling up the yards, just in terms of yards per play, their third lowest total of the season. They averaged 5.1 last night. Uh, that's just behind their games against Utah and then earlier at Cal this season. So Ohio State's defense did a pretty excellent job, and they did it without one of, if not the best cornerback in the country. So very nice performance from the defense overall. But we're 25 minutes into this thing, man. We, we got to talk about the offense. Uh, we may keep Do this we short. <laughs> we, we may keep this short. But uh, I, I'm really not going to complain that much, not only because like it's the last game. You can't fix anything at this point. But like I said, this just felt like the coaching staff knew how the defense was playing and what they were going to do for the rest of the game. And not that they put it on autopilot, but it was just like, well, if the defense is going to play like this, we're not going to do anything outside the box. That's what it felt like to me. Yeah, I can, I can kind of see that. Um, <clears throat> you know, in the first half, the offense wasn't particularly good as Ohio State no. rolled out to that lead. I think they had one actual drive that resulted in three points, but you know, most of those points came off of turnovers. There was the pick six. There was the uh, the the fumble that I, th I think it was a fumble that resulted in the JT Barrett touchdown run, um, and then there was a there was another JT Barrett touchdown run. I don't remember what led up to it. The game was last night, and I was very tired. But um, you know, ultimately the offense kind of did the same thing that they have for a lot of the season. Um, they they mostly kept it on the ground. Uh, surprisingly, the running game wasn't super good. Um, J.K. Dobbins didn't have a very good game, only 39 yards on 13 carries. Um, you know, it was mostly J.T. Barrett running 16 attempts for 66 yards, which as much as I dislike running a quarterback that much, um, I'm not surprised. It's the last yeah. time you'll ever yeah. have to see it. Well, <laughs> I'm not sure if that is the last time we'll ever have to it, see it. Well, him. in terms of J.T. Barrett. In terms of J.T. Barrett, yes, until the Browns draft him and they do the same thing because <laughs> they hate me. Um, but it was, you know, it's not surprising. I was hoping Ohio State would open up the playbook a little bit more for a game that ultimately doesn't hurt them if they lose. <laughs> um, but they, they didn't. They pretty much just kept it what it was, if not even a little bit more constricted uh the line wasn't very good which did surprise me i was expecting a better performance from them that the tackles were okay but demetrius knox did not have a very good game after a, a pretty solid season so i'm not 
I, I think USC's defensive line was really good, but that that kind of surprised me a little bit. Um, this, you know, ultimately they did enough to win, and <clears throat> as unentertaining as that is to watch, and as kind of painful it was to watch at times, that's all they really wanted to do was was win the game, and if they can do that by getting a couple yards and running a read option and throwing the ball off of some receiver's hands and then punting, then I guess that a win is a win, and it's it's hard to complain about a really dominant defense or performance, even when the offense isn't very good. Um, you know, I think the the one real bright spot that I see from this when I'm looking at the stats and kind of thinking back to the game is that Austin Mack got involved a little bit. Uh, he had three receptions for 56 yards. He had a couple really nice catches. And I just, I really hope that they play him more and, you know, start him and get him on the field as much as they can next season because he is very, very good. And with a with a quarterback back there next season, if it's Dwayne Haskins or Joey Burrow um, or even Tate Martell for whatever reason, I, I don't expect that. But, you know, whoever's a quarterback next season for them to have a target like Austin Mack from from day one and you know, to consistently have a really, really sure handed receiver who can go out and make plays and run good routes. That's valuable. And that's something that Ohio State hasn't really had since Michael Thomas. And I, I think that that was, you know, if nothing else, that was encouraging to see. And I, I really like watching him play, and I hope that we get to do it more next season. Yeah, and since we're an Ohio State podcast, we're always going to talk about it from the lens of, okay, Ohio State did this well because they're so good or the line played so good. And when it goes bad, we'll say, well, what did Ohio State do or not do to have a good game? But I think a lot of credit – needs to go to USC's defense and their defensive front because they really struggled a lot this season against the run. We saw that in the Notre Dame game and in the Arizona game as well. But I thought that they had a pretty good game plan. And like you said, with Demetrius Knox and a couple of the other guys, we saw Billy Price get beat a few times. I thought USC's defensive line played really well and pr pretty much about as good as you can against this Ohio State run game. So I, I didn't think that the play calling was particularly uh, imaginative, <laughs> especially when it came to some of those third and shorts and the, the fourth and short call. Both four, fourth and short calls, the one where Barrett uh, got a long first down or scored a touchdown, and then the second one uh, late in the game where he got stopped short, which looked like it was – it was about 50-50. If there was a better camera angle, they may have given that to him. But even so, they relied on that Barrett smash for pretty much the last four <laughs> years. And, you know, it will be nice to see, you would think, a little bit of a change when it comes to that, especially in short yardage. Mike Weber only got five carries for 18 yards. This was unequivocally J.K. Dobbins' worst game in his in his short career. 13 carries for 39 yards with a long of seven. So... As, as much as we want to say Ohio State didn't play well, USC has talent too, and I thought their defensive line did a really nice job. Yeah, and the, you know, it, it is, it's, it's easy to get kind of caught in an Ohio State bubble and just to be thinking of what Ohio State did poorly, and I think that you're correct in saying that USC's defense played really well. Uh, I wasn't expecting their defense to be any kind of, you know, even decent against the rushing attack, and they struggled with JT Barrett at times, which... I feel like would be kind of hard to do because on those third downs, on those fourth downs, and just in general, you know he's running. Uh, you know, on those fourth and shorts, they're not going to call a different play. It's going to be JT Barrett up the middle, and he still managed to beat them with it a couple times. And it, uh, speaking of the Barrett smash, I was just thinking during the game last night, if they ever, and they, it's, it's too late now, but if they ever on like a fourth and one called that Barrett smash, and they, you know, he ran it, he ran up right near the line, and then threw a jump pass to a tight end, it would be a touchdown, guaranteed, 100%. It would be a touchdown, and it's just, you know, little what ifs like that are kind of, I, I think, what Ohio State's past three seasons have felt like um, is. You know, thinking, what if they just added this little wrinkle into the playbook? Or what if they gave the ball to Ezekiel Elliott more? Or what if they gave the ball to White, to Mike Weber more? Or J.K. Dobbins? Or, you know, all these different things. And I just, I hope that Ohio State gets more creative with the play calls next season with whoever's at quarterback because it's just, it's little wrinkles like that that are the difference between a team that 
you know, plays in the Cotton Bowl and a team that plays in the playoff. And I, I hope that Urban Meyer is, is willing to kind of change his ways a little bit for whoever the next quarterback is because I uh, I don't think it'll happen. But if Dwayne Haskins is not, – not to say I don't think Dwayne Haskins will be the quarterback, but I don't think that this play calling will be the same if he is. But if they do Haskins smash for three seasons, he deserves better than that. <laughs> I, See, I, I don't, I don't think they will. I, I sure I, hope not. <laughs> I think it's going to be a lot of what we saw in those uh, 2014 playoff games and late in the Michigan game with Cardale Jones with a lot more deep passing. I think you'll see the the receivers. Uh, I think will be a little bit better. You'll see them be a little smarter when it comes to getting separation and getting open downfield. You talked about a guy like Austin Mack who can make some plays. Uh, another guy who had a very good game in his final game as a Buckeye in the passing game was Marcus Baugh. Hell yeah. Four catches for 40 yards, a long of 20. He had a big third down catch on that first touchdown drive after the fumble and I think had another long third down catch to, to move the chains. I don't remember if Ohio State ended up scoring on it, but I thought he played really well. Uh, he's a guy we've talked about before that I think is going to have a much better pro career statistically than he did at Ohio State, so I think he'll be a name to watch going forward, and it'll be interesting to see which of those guys out of that new tight end group replaces him because we don't talk a lot about Marcus Baugh, but I, I think that he has definitely proved himself over – the past couple of seasons and most especially this year, I thought he had a really good season. And then the the one real wrinkle that they did bring up was Paris Campbell and the run game. He had three rushes for 42 yards with a long of 21. They also faked that reverse to him on a, uh, on a third and one in the, uh, that first drive of the third quarter that Barrett didn't pitch to him that they had pitched off earlier that I thought could have gone for big yards again. So you would assume Paris Campbell's coming back outside of Dobbins. He's probably their most consistent explosive player. Johnny Dixon is a guy obviously as a receiver that has the yards per catch, but I think you can get Paris Campbell the ball a little bit more easily. So I would figure he's a little bit more involved in the offense next year, but that was really their only wrinkle was adding Paris Campbell to the run game. With um, with the Paris Campbell thing, I, I hope that it wasn't too little too late. Um, I, I'm not sure ultimately what his pro decision will be. Um, I know he has a one-year-old, and that's always kind of a, yeah. a tough situation for a college kid to be in because one-year-olds cost money. Um, <laughs> And it's really hard for, for someone who, you know, even though I don't think he would go anywhere near the first three or four rounds, it's hard for someone to pass up that money and that chance to support your family. And if this was the last time we see Paris Campbell um, as a Buckeye, I think he really, I, I think he really improved in his time here. And after how, you know, how much he struggled last season, I think he was really good this year. And I, I think if he comes back, he'll be a leader next season, just like he was this season. And I hope that they, you know, continue to get him the ball in creative ways next season if he is still on the team. I'm not sure if I expect him to be still on the team. I, I'm not really, you know, obviously we'll have a show on you know, who all declares and you know stuff like that. But you know, ultimately, I, I think that he would be. A, a really crucial part of the team next season if they can use him the right way if he does ultimately return and I'm not sure if they will use him the right way just from what I've seen um, but I, I hope that that they can kind of continue to use him in the the shovel option game and in the read option game because he did come to Ohio State as a running back and he's a very very good runner and I think he's a better runner than he is a receiver at times and uh, ultimately I would like to see more of that and and it's kind of disappointing that we didn't this season, but I, I think that he still contributed quite a bit. And that's kind of the case for a lot of these guys is that it feels like Ohio state misused quite a few of their players and they still managed to contribute, you know, especially guys like JK Dobbins and Mike Weber and, you know, even someone like JT Barrett, I don't think running him 20 times a game is really the best way to use him, but he's still set records and he's still, is an Ohio State legend in my mind and I think in most people's mind and I, I think that I, I don't want the Urban Meyer era to be kind of summed up by 
you know, so close and missed opportunities. And I don't think it will be at this point, but I really hope that they can figure out the offense next season because I'm kind of tired of watching this. Well, and if Paris Campbell comes back, you would assume that he will once again, he wasn't late in the season, but he will be the kick returner. And on that subject, let's talk about special teams because it wouldn't have been a 2017 Ohio State game without at least one horrible special teams play. We talked about the KJ Hill muff punt, which was really the only reason why USC scored. But other than that, this was their best performance uh, in special teams all year. I know, like, you can say discounting the muff punt, but, man, the the kick coverage, the punt coverage. Drew Chrisman had seven punts for 321 yards, including a long of 54. He had an excellent game punting the ball. They were able to flip the field position whenever the offense couldn't really do anything. And when they did kick off, uh, Zach Turner had a huge hit. Justin Hilliard, I think it was, on the opening kickoff, had a huge hit. Those guys played violent last night. Yeah, you know, Justin Hilliard, Zach Turner, um, Baron Browning was another one that stood out to me. The The kick coverage got better as the season went on, and they were so bad early on in the year. And I'm glad to see that they kind of figured it out as the season went on. And you know, Drew Chrisman, as you mentioned, had a really, really nice game. Um, he had that, that beautiful 54-yard punt, uh, three inside the 22 of 50-plus yards. Um, but I, I think the you know my last real takeaway with the, from this game and you know on the special teams especially is that Sean Nuremberger ended up having a pretty nice career here and that's surprising because <laughs> of the you know the way that he started here in in 2014 and really got off to a rough start as a freshman and a sophomore ultimately lost his job last season for a while um, he ended up being a pretty consistent kicker inside of 45 yards and I think that. I, you know, I, I think it's hard to hard to complain about the the special teams ultimately in this game, even with the the muffed punt. I think that in general, Ohio State figured out their special teams problem, and that's you know that's helpful. As small as it is, and as little of a thing that that seems, we saw how much it hurt the team earlier in the season. And hopefully they don't have to deal with the problems next year that they did this season. Any final thoughts on the game? My only real one. I think I enjoyed this game. More than almost everybody else did. The offense was what it was, but just seeing what the defense was able to do and the way that they dominated the game, and this doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, but finishing the season off just in a complete 180 from last season in the Clemson game, I thought was really nice, and I'm glad that this this group of not only seniors but the guys that are going to declare for the draft early got to end their careers with a win in a high-profile game against a very good team. And, you know, you're going to hear a lot of people talk about whether Ohio State should have been in the playoff, and especially once, you know, the Alabama game happens, depending if they win or lose, you may hear more of that talk or why they didn't deserve to be in the playoff. But at the end of the day, they're going to finish the season at the very least uh, ranked number five at the end of the year. Big Ten champions. They beat Penn State, who it looks like right now, the game's still going on as we're recording this, that Penn State is probably going to win the Fiesta Bowl. They beat Wisconsin, who could win the Orange Bowl. And they beat the Pac-12 champions. And if you lose to the runner-up or the national champion in Oklahoma and then just have that weird result to Iowa, that's a pretty damn good season. And overall, I would say very good year for Ohio State. A little bit up and down, but um, it's hard to be upset with a year like this. I think really <clears throat> my only takeaway from this game, um, and I think that the thing that I most enjoyed about this game, uh, which is not – it wasn't watching it. I didn't really enjoy watching it. Uh, <laughs> the defense was impressive, as you said, and I like watching a good defensive performance, but uh, they, I like offense too, and this just wasn't very fun for me to, to digest. Um, but I think my main takeaway and kind of the thing that – this game gives me is closure on this season um, because you know, like we had in 2015, after the you know the big win over Notre Dame and the the blowout win over Michigan to end that season, I spent like weeks after that season ended, you know, and I think a lot of Ohio State fans did the the same thing, kind of thinking, well, what if you know, what if they had beaten Michigan State? What if they had opened up the offense earlier? What if they had just gone with JT or just gone with Cardale? You know, would they have been able to win the championship again? Um, I think I can say with 100% certainty, this was Ohio State this season. 
I think Ohio State was the fifth best team this season. Um, I think that this is exactly where they're supposed to be. Uh, I think that a winner of a, a New Year's Six Bowl that isn't a playoff game is exactly where Ohio State should be because I've seen all four playoff teams play this season, and I've seen Ohio State play this season, and I'm really glad I don't have to see Ohio State play any of those four playoff teams because they'd lose. Um, I, I really don't think that Ohio State would beat any of the four teams in the playoff, and I don't think it would be very close against three of them. Um, I think they'd beat Georgia. Georgia's offense isn't good. I think, yeah. And they'd stop the run. Yeah, I think they could keep it close with Georgia. I think Alabama would beat them. I think Clemson would probably crush them. And I think Oklahoma would probably, I think it'd probably be a two touchdown game. But we saw that game. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't fun. It wasn't fun to watch. And I think Ohio State's improved since then. But so is Oklahoma. And ultimately, I just, I don't think this offense is it. I don't think that this offense has the firepower to win a championship. And, you know, with thinking about that Georgia game and thinking about what Ohio State Georgia would look like, I'm glad I don't have to watch that because that would be awful. <laughs> That's some 80s That's ass like, football right yeah. there. I also <laughs> think that, um, and and this may be a little bit of a hot take, and like you and I tend to keep it, you know, pretty pretty straightforward. We try to keep it 100. We're this is an Ohio State fan podcast, but we're not going to completely fanboy out. I think if they played Clemson, they could keep it close because Clemson's offense doesn't do, and Kelly Bryant doesn't do much for me, but it's a matter of would Ohio State be able to do anything offensively and would they not turn the ball over? So I think that they could beat any of those three teams except for Oklahoma. I wouldn't feel confident about them beating Clemson or beating Alabama but if the defense played like this they can they can beat everybody or anybody in the country or if the offense plays the way they did today they can lose to any high level team and Iowa (laughs) they can lose to Iowa (laughs) yeah and maybe that's the 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 takeaway from this season but um last thing we're going to talk about here is is we kind of wrap it up and wrap up the game and finish up talking about this season before we move on to the off season and maybe this is the the same question but on Twitter Yesterday after the game, I, I put out a question to everybody of what you will remember most about this season. And before I go, Patrick, what, what are you going to remember most about Ohio State this year? Um, or what's the moment, the moment that stands out to you above everything else? Okay, the moment that stands out to me the most is probably the, um, the go-ahead touchdown pass in the, in the, you know, in the Penn State game, the, the pass to the back of the end zone to Marcus Ball. Um, that, that moment was really... I think kind of just significant to the season. I think it kind of put a, a bow on JT Barrett's career here. I, I think that that cemented him as a, you know, an all time great at Ohio state. And that was the most fun that I had watching the team this season. And I, I think that that's the, the moment that I will most remember, you know, fondly, which is nice to have a fond memory of the season. And I think that that's the, the moment that kind of sticks out to me the most about this year. Yeah, it's hard to pick against that, especially given the circumstances that Ohio State was losing that game. It looked like another high-profile loss and an embarrassing loss. And then JT Barrett, who's like at the center of the storm, goes 13 of 13 in the fourth quarter for three touchdowns to cap this amazing game against this team that had beaten them last year and against, not against Saquon Barkley, but you're playing a team that has at that point, but the guy that was basically the runaway Heisman trophy winner. And the fact that they were able to win a game like that, I I think we make fun of them dropping like, Oh, the brotherhood, you know, and all that type of team cliche speak. But uh, I I thought that did a really excellent job of kind of showcasing where this team's mentality was, even though they did lose to Iowa the next week. But the the fact that they were able to do that in the fourth quarter, I think it's hard to pick against that moment standing out in that last touchdown pass to Marcus Baugh. And then what the defensive line did to close that game out, that that's, that's what I'll always remember about this team. I think that that, that Penn state game is probably the most memorable game of the last couple seasons in terms of a positive outcome. Um, and I think that that was kind of the combination of what we've been looking for Ohio state to be for the entire season was that fourth quarter. Um, and you know, as, as kind of an up and down season as this was with some really weird losses and some weird games, it was a, it was a really good year. You know, Ohio state won 12 games and it feels weird to complain about a team that won 12 games. And that's kind of been something that we've been wrestling with all season long is 
you know, how high can expectations be before it's ridiculous and, you know, before it's just, it's too much and you can't possibly expect more than, you know, that. And I think the 12 wins is that for me. Um, I think the 12 wins in a major bowl game against a good team um, is kind of where I hope Ohio State is every year. And ultimately they got there and it was kind of weird getting there and they, you know, may or may not have given up 55 points to a pretty bad team, but you know, ultimately they they did that. You know, they did it. They got to the bowl game. They won against a really good team. They had some really fun games. They had some not as fun games, and it's you know it's another impressive year in a a really impressive era, and I, I think that the the you know, positives obviously outweigh the negatives and I, I think that that's my number one takeaway from the season so we had a bunch of people respond to that question on twitter and we're going to get to that and since patrick and i are your sanctimonious <laughs> podcast host we're going to judge your guys's answer so first we got ian mcconville who says the seniors leaders and the seniors slash leaders and their commitment to this program those guys will be seriously missed i think i saw the stat that they went 49 and six during their time at Ohio State, which is either the best or the second best for any senior class in Ohio State history. Kind of hard to disagree with that. Uh, Bacon House says that his most memorable moment was Sam Hubbard tackling two people at once from the Penn State game. We got a couple of people that said that, and that was definitely a moment in that Penn State game. There were a couple of different ones that you can pick out there. Let's see here. What else do we got? David Buckeye says JT putting hashtag the brotherhood above all else and playing in the big 10 championship game six days after knee surgery. That's something Patrick and I talked about after that game. And no matter where you fall on that spectrum, that was certainly a, a moment and something that I won't forget. What about you, Patrick? Yeah, for sure. I, I think that that was kind of symbolic of his career as a whole is kind of putting the team in front of himself for better or worse and kind of being willing to do whatever the team needs him to do. And while I may you know, disagree with playing him in that situation. And uh, ultimately, I don't know what that came down to and if the coaching staff should have stepped in or if that was a, a JT Barrett decision. Um, I, I think that's kind of just what he was at Ohio State. He was he was the kind of guy who would step up in that situation and play coming off of a surgery and, and lead the team when they needed him to. And I, it, it's hard to it's hard to be mad at him for that. And I, I think ultimately our takeaway was not, you know, that we were upset with JT Barrett playing. I think we were upset with the, the people who were in charge of that decision, but, you know, certainly I, I have to respect that he's you know, that willing to, to play for his team and that willing to, to kind of lead this group. Patrick Mayhorn, JT Barrett, respect. Yes. <laughs> G Ward <laughs> says uh, Dwayne Haskins passed to Mac on third down versus Michigan that that is a moment where if that play doesn't get made who knows where we are right now talking about this season Buckeye Brenda says this season was a freaking roller coaster highs were awesome the lows were not fun and the ride in between left us out of breath being in the shoe for the win against Penn State a prime example I, I think that that's a pretty good response that the highs and just blowing out all those teams for five straight weeks and then beating Penn State you can't get much better than that, and then you can't get much lower than the losses to Oklahoma and Iowa, and then you can't get much higher than how they rebounded to the Iowa loss with just completely demolishing Michigan State and then the comeback against Michigan and then beating Wisconsin for the Big Ten title and then winning this game. So I think that that's the, kind of the, the right perspective to have, that the highs were really high and the lows were really low. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that that's kind of what our what our takeaway was. And that's kind of been what Ohio State has been for the last couple of years. And um, the I, I think that's a kind of the best way to sum up what this season was, is that for a very long time, Ohio State was very good. Um, and for much of the season, Ohio State was very good, and they were challenged a couple times. And the two times that they weren't good, they got crushed. And that's something that Ohio State has kind of had to deal with for the past couple of years. And if that will change, we will yet to see. But you know, I think that there are plenty of fans and plenty of programs that would be more than happy to have that kind of season and to have an up and down season that ends with 12 wins and a big 10 championship. And I, I think that, you know, in looking at these replies and 
you know, just in general, seeing the the response to this season and seeing the way that Ohio State fans have reacted to this year ending, I'm I'm glad that it's generally positive, and I'm glad that people have mostly seemed to have come to terms with what this team was, and there's there's not people mostly there's not people saying that Ohio State deserved to be in the playoff or that this season's a disappointment or that JT Barrett's a bad quarterback or things like that. And I, I know that there are people who are saying that. And yeah, there are always going to be people who are saying that. There's going to be people saying that Dwayne Haskins should lose his job next season when he throws an interception or something. It, it'll That'll always be there with a fan base of this size. But ultimately, I think that I'm, you know, I'm just glad to see the positivity. I'm glad to see people enjoying the season for what it is in a sport that you know of course there's going to be chaos and up and downs these are college kids and i i think that that's something to kind of keep in mind and i'm glad to see most people are doing that final two is as we wrap this up here jared reed says sitting in the corner of my homecoming dance <laughs> watching jt bring ohio state back to win against penn state shout out to jared i hope your homecoming date was very giving after that ohio state Win, holler at us on Twitter if you want to tell us that story <laughs> at Holy Land Pod, or you yeah. can just keep that to yourself, whichever <laughs> one works. And then my favorite one, Brandon Sherwood says the season pretty much mirrors 2009, replaced Purdue with Iowa, lost at home to a big out of conference opponent early in the season, go on to win the Big Ten and beat the Pac 12 champ in the bowl game. So, yeah, that was basically the 2009 season all over. I remember thinking when they beat Oregon in the Rose Bowl, like, Man, the Purdue game sucked, and losing to USC really sucked because they should have won that game. But for them to close out the season the way they did in, I won't say a dominant win over Oregon, but they took care of them, and they played great defense in that game that, yeah, if you had to compare seasons and what this one would remind me of, it would be that 2019. Yeah, I, I think that that's a, a really nice comparison. Um, some, of the, some of the ones that I've kind of you know sat on and some of the comparisons that i've thought of are some of the you know late john cooper teams like 1998 with the the michigan state loss late in the season that just really didn't make a lot of sense um you know and i think that ohio state's kind of become pretty notorious for seasons like this and i you know the 2009 season was fun too uh that i remember specifically i think that the number one thing that stands out to me from that season was um Devin Markley, I think, was the kicker, making the, uh, I think it was like a 39-yard field goal to win the game against Iowa. Yeah, and it locked up the Rose Bowl. And I don't know why that stands out so much. And, you know, maybe the, the Penn State win this season will stand out like that to me, you know, 10 years from now. Um, but I, I like that comparison. I think that's a, a good way to, to kind of sum up the season. Even that win against Iowa that year has some similarities to the Penn State game this year. They gave up a kick return to, I think, Daryl Johnson Kulianos, if I'm remembering the name correctly, in that game. And that was one where they made so many mistakes in Iowa almost came back and won, and then, of course, it ends with the euphoria of that kick. So you can even compare some of those wins that season to 2009. But we're going to wrap it up basically here. Last thing, uh, what do you think of bowl season so far, man? It's been good. I think there was some blowouts early on. There's still some high-profile games, but I think it's been a pretty good bowl season, all things considered. What What's been your favorite moments? Okay, so my number one favorite moment um okay i have two favorite moments actually uh, my number two favorite moment was purdue winning a bowl game uh th- these yeah, are not like that. these are non ohio state moments but i like jeff brom a lot um and i think that that program deserves to be good um I-, I like a lot of the players that they have on that team they have a lot of ohio guys on that team and i i hope that jeff brom stays there because he's a a very good coach and i think that he could shake up what's going on in the big twin the big 10 west right now um my number one moment that actually happened during the ohio state game but not in the ohio state game and i don't know if you saw this yesterday but uh new mexico state won their first bowl game in like 60 years um and their it was their first bowl appearance in like 60 years and they won the arizona bowl against utah state in overtime on a walk-off touchdown run and their fans stormed the field (laughs) and you know there there are people who say that there are too many bowl games and that's i think that that's kind of what i would point to in response to that is that you know in a bowl game that really didn't matter at all in the grand scheme of things you know it was it was a game between i think two six and six teams and you know ultimately there wasn't 
really much riding on it, but that's that's something that those fans and those players will never forget. And I, I think that just that, you know, as kind of, <clears throat> I guess, college football hipster as that sounds, you know, is, you know, rooting for New Mexico State to win their bowl game and getting really excited about it. But I think I cared about that more yesterday than I did about the Ohio State game. Uh, just because I think that that's what makes college football fun, and you know, it's that that pure emotion and, and joy that we that we see there. And I, I really, I enjoyed watching that, and I think that that was my favorite moment thus far. We respect and love Group of Five football, <laughs> absolutely. The hangout in the Holy Land. I loved watching Wake Forest and uh, Texas Tech or Texas Tech, Texas A and M play that fifty-five to 52 game texas tech also played a very entertaining game against yeah, south Quentin florida flowers. that 38 flowers game. is great yeah it was it was awesome to see him and his career the way that he did but my favorite thing man is i can't get enough of mac brown <laughs> as a studio analyst i am such a big fan of just listening to mac brown talk and it's gotten me like i'm so slap happy that i just walk around talking like mac brown <laughs> like that that's how my holiday season has gone where i'm just walking around like you know let me tell you something patrick this son of a bitch tom herman he thinks he's hot shit because he's winning seven games and winning the texas bowl i won 10 games a year i own bob stoops and ou's ass that's what i've been doing all holiday season folks just talking like Mac Brown. I yeah, I love me some Mac Brown. <laughs> he's uh, <laughs> he's a good time. I was talking to one of my buddies a couple days ago, um, and he made the suggestion that SMU should have hired Mac Brown, and I'm on board. Whoever wants to hire Mac Brown, please do it, cause I love him. <laughs> Listen, if anybody hires Mac Brown, I'm moving to the city and I'm becoming a graduate assistant. <laughs> Mac Brown, it, he is the G of all G's. That's probably a good place. For us to wrap this up, we're an hour in. We've ma- we've marathoned this thing. I hope you guys have liked listening to it. I- I'm sure that we missed a couple of things, but we tried to hit everything that happened in the game and talk a little bit about the season. And uh, we're not going anywhere, though. Even though it's the end of the Ohio State football season, we will be around. We're going to talk about uh, once all the NFL draft pieces fall and all the players declare, which should be in a matter of less than a week or so. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the Buckeyes headed towards the NFL draft and some of their prospects there and we're also not going to stop talking about this current Ohio State team and the recruiting class which is not done there's still the old national signing day in February that we will talk about there's a couple of big time decisions that uh that Ohio State is waiting on especially at defensive end that we will break down so we're not going anywhere and uh Patrick if people want to interact with you on the internet where can they reach you for all of your college football analysis and opinions uh they can find me at Patrick underscore Mayhorn um I've been tweeting about Ohio State's drive recap uh recently and about how butt the Pac-12 is (laughs) so that's uh that's pretty much what my my little corner of the internet is and you 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 know that I love me some some Pac-12 after dark, but man, they're not doing too hot, and that's that's kind of been what my um, my little niche has been the last couple of days. No, the the Pac-12 right now is basically where the Big Ten was in like 2008, <laughs> 2009. Just cannot get any love during bowl season. If you want to reach me on Twitter and request any sort of Mac Brown impersonations, <laughs> you can do so by adding me at Dubs Co. Also, make sure to interact with us on the show like a lot of you did last night by sending us a tweet and following us on Twitter at Holy Land Pod. We're going to have a lot of stuff coming your way this offseason. We're going to be real interactive. We want to hear from you guys and uh, bring up your tweets on the show and get your guys' opinions on what we do. And also be sure to follow us as a site on Twitter at LandGrant33 and visit the Hangout in the Holy Land. And as far as this show goes, make sure to go to SoundCloud.com slash land grant holy land you can find all the old episodes there and please subscribe to the podcast go on to apple podcast search hang out in the holy land subscribe leave a review help other people find the show that is the best way to do that we got a uh, a nice comment from uh Nefman23, whoever you are, we appreciate you listening to the show. He called us a bunch of heretics, but he <laughs> gave us five stars. So we appreciate that, man. And uh, if you guys leave us a review, we'll, we'll uh, shout you out on the show. Patrick, anything else, man? We've really uh, we've hit the gauntlet on this one. Yeah, and just yeah, um, you know, this was a this was a fun show, and I feel like it was kind of the airing of grievances of sorts with Ohio State football this season. Uh, but on the topic of you know sending us things and, and sending us tweets, um, yeah, I, I don't know if 
uh, I, I don't know how open we are to this, but I, I know I am. If you guys have any topics you want us to talk about during the off season, um, feel free to send those over because you know there are. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I know we've got some some kind of goofy ones planned, and uh, it, it should be a, a good time. And the off season is always kind of a, a time for you know some some fun and some. Ohio State silliness and some college football silliness as a whole. So if you have anything you want us to talk about, be it silly or normal, um, you know, feel free to send that to us at the, you know, at the pod Twitter account or even at me or Colton. They're really just yell it out your window. I'll probably hear it. Um, you know, just if you want the this show is for you know for you and for the listeners and you know ultimately it's all you know our job is to make this an enjoyable show to listen to and i think we do a pretty good job of that even if we are sacrilegious at times i guess um <laughs> you know and if there's anything that that would help you know people enjoy the show more and if there's topics you want us to talk about we'll be glad to do that so just uh, you know feel free to send those over and uh, I, I think that we will be you know happy to oblige and certainly we are not um, you know, full of, you know, off-season topics. So we will be, we will be happy to to take those into consideration. Yeah, send us your potential off-season topics because left to our own devices, Patrick and I will drive this thing right off a cliff. But until next time, that's gonna wrap up today's show. Want to thank you guys for listening and for Patrick Mayhorn. I'm Colton Denning. This has been the Hangout in the Holy Land, and go Bucks.